Amen. First Kings chapter 19 is my assignment this morning. First Kings chapter 19. And we're continuing in our series, The Blessed Year of Your Life. How many of you are believing that, confessing that over your family, over your finances? First Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. And then also, I want you to open up Romans. We won't deal with that until later, but Romans chapter 11 as well. But we'll start off in First Kings chapter 19. We do a little something in the youth. You guys got it? Need, need a little bit more time? Say, hold up. All right, all right, all right. Trying to give you some time. Hopefully Atlanta is ready. We've given y'all some time now. Come on. All right. Here we go. And it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Isn't it amazing that even those who believe in God still experience times of depression and sometimes feel like throwing in the towel? May that be an encouragement to you that you're not alone. But the story doesn't stop there. Verse 5, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Mm. And there he went into a cave. And spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? FYI, when God asks a question, it's not because he's lacking information. But it's because he's wanting us to look within, discover something that we didn't know about ourselves before. Watch this. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Second time. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. 
And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, a lot of names. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the word of Jehu, Elijah will kill. Yet, somebody say yet. Look at your neighbor and say yet. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want to speak to you for a few moments from the subject matter. He's already made reservations. Come on, somebody. He's already made reservations, meaning that his life, your life, is in the palm of his hands, and no one can pluck you out. Philippians 1, 6 says, he that has begun a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The Bible says that he is a strong tower, that the righteous can run to him and find safety. So don't be discouraged this morning, Faith Church. God has a word for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you've done some awesome things in this service. But I pray that you would speak to everyone here in this room, young and old. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I confess I cannot do this before you. I need you, God. Speak through me. Use me as your servant. And open up the hearts and the ears of those in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you for standing as we honor the reading of God's word. When we look about making reservations, if you've ever been to a restaurant before, and I realize it's the 11 a.m. service, so some of y'all are probably a little hungry. And I've always uh, been told not to mention food and service. Uh, but when we make reservations, the thought process is we're making reservations to take the initiative, to make sure that we have a spot that's reserved for us, whether we're taking out a group of friends or whether we're going out on a date with our spouse. Sometimes we make reservations. We call ahead to make sure that everything is set when we arrive. But you have to understand something, that before the foundation of this world was ever crafted, that God knew you. That he knew you when you were in the womb of your mother and he was the one that crafted you together. Therefore, your life is not an accident. And one of the things that I tell the young people and I'll tell every adult in this room as well, your life is not an accident. Therefore, depression has no place. Therefore, suicide has no place. These things have no place because you have been ordained by God. You've been called by him. He knows you. He knows you're lying down and you're getting up. He knows the very hairs that are on your head, even though they're not many. He knows you. Are y'all with me? He knows us. And so as we look at this scripture, I want to show you how much God knows about you and the plan and purposes that he has for your life. Because let's be honest, sometimes when you hear the phrase, this is going to be the blessed year of your life, there are some that may receive that with gladness, but there are others that are questioning, Lord, when? I've been waiting for a long time. It's been two years. It's been three years. It's been four years. It's been a long time. My faith is starting to wane. Lord, when are you going to bring this to pass? I have a word of encouragement for you this morning. So as we look at the life of Elijah, if you would just give me a few moments to set this up. Elijah was a mighty prophet in the army of God, and he was sent during a spiritual decline in the land of Israel. But how many of you know that even though there's a spiritual decline, there's always a remnant that raised, that rises up to take their place and to speak forth the righteousness of God and bring about revival. And this generation that we see is doing just that, breaking generational curses, 
Even some of the statistics that are up against them, they're overcoming those statistics. This generation is not a lost cause, but they are on fire for the Lord. And there is a boldness that I see within their hearts. I will not give up on them because they are the next generation. But as we look at this scripture, just to give you guys a little bit of context, some of you might remember the mighty man David who fought Goliath. And most of us know that, but we also recognize his fall with Bathsheba and how he had her husband executed so that he could be with her. There was some drama in the Bible as well, yes. But even though David had this fall, his son, though his son had many promises or had promise over his life and there was so much potential there, his son Solomon ended up falling into the same trap. God told Solomon, do not go after foreign wives because if you do, they will turn your heart away from the Lord. If having more than one wife wasn't enough, (laughs) he said on top of that, don't go after foreign wives because they'll turn your heart away from me. And Solomon in his pride ended up going after these wives and we all know the story, he ended up falling and his heart began to turn from the Lord to false gods. After he died, there were many kings that were raised up after him. Some of them served with righteousness, but but, but the majority of them did not walk in the ways of the Lord. They were very wicked. In fact, there was a man by the name of Ahab, which was probably the most wicked man of all the Bible describes. And this man married a woman by the name of Jezebel. How many of you have heard of Jezebel? Let's seek to not be Jezebel. Praise the Lord. All right. But Jezebel, she served Baal, and she ended up turning her husband away from the Lord, influencing him to turn the children of Israel's hearts away from the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, who brought them out of bondage, who took them into the wilderness and fed them with manna from the sky, water out of a rock. He did all of these miraculous works, but yet their heart turned away from the Lord and began, began to worship Baal as a result. And here's where we come to our text in 1 Kings chapter 19. But first, before I get there, I'm almost there. I want to set up a few miracles that Elijah did when he stepped on the scene. Elijah comes out of nowhere in 1 Kings chapter 17, and he goes to Ahab and he tells him, I am going to declare a drought in all of the land. It's not going to rain for over three years. And do you know that God heeded his voice and a drought swept into the land? That was the first miracle that he performed. Because of this drought, God told him to go to a place called Zarephath. And when he got there, there was going to be a widow who had a son. And this widow and her son were going to provide for him. But when Elijah got there, when he met this woman, she said that my son and I, we have a jar of oil and a bin of flour, and we are about to eat these items and die. But little did she know, Elijah said, before you do that, Bake me a cake and watch me work in your life. Because when you bake me this cake, when you put me first, when you put God first, when you step out of faith, when you sow a seed, when you sow a seed, watch how the Lord works. And Elijah told that widow that neither will the bin of flour be used up nor the jar of oil. And I'm here to tell you that both of those were not used up until it started raining again in the land. God is faithful. So that was the second miracle that he performed. The third miracle that he performed was after this miracle, the widow's son became ill, very sick. Isn't it interesting that you can have one breakthrough in your life and then right around the corner you have a setback that takes place in your life? 
And sometimes it almost feels like it's happening simultaneously. I just received a good report over here, but then I get to this place and I receive a bad report. But how many of you know the report of the Lord is the one that stands? And so even in this scripture, even though this child died, the Bible says that Elijah took the child took him up to the upper room and laid himself out over the child and prayed for him three times. And do you know that even though he was dead, he was raised back to life again and life came back to him. That was the third miracle. The fourth miracle, which was probably the most influential miracle, this was probably the miracle that really set Elijah on fire because you know he was bold, right? He was a bold mamma jamma. He was a bold man of God. Come on. He was a bold man. But watch this. The Bible says that Elijah called for all the prophets of Baal, all the children of Israel to meet him on Mount Carmel. And he told them, he said, I know that you guys are vacillating between two opinions, whether to serve Baal or whether to serve the living God, the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's put it to the test. I want all of you prophets of Baal to gather a bull. And I want you to set up a sacrifice and put this bull on the sacrifice and see if your God will answer you and consume this sacrifice. And I'll do the same thing and I'll call out to my God. Well, the Bible says that these prophets of Baal set up everything. They got everything ready. They were excited thinking that their God would show up. But I don't you know, want to bust your bubble. But the Bible says that the Lord God is one and beside him there is no other. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anyone else. He is God and beside him there is no other. But as they called out to the Lord, or, or as they called out to this false God rather, and they called out to Baal, the Bible says that he answered them not. And they waited all day for hours waiting for Baal to answer them to come and consume this sacrifice. It got so bad that it was common in their religion that they would start cutting themselves to try to appease their God. So blood was literally gushing out of their body in hopes that this Baal would answer them. But he answered him not. And the Bible says that Elijah began to mock them and say, I guess he must be sleeping. I guess he must be on a long journey. I guess he must be somewhere doing something more important and that's why he's not answering you. But the Bible says that Elijah stepped up and he said, now it's my turn. So Elisha got that bull. He set up the sacrifice, but he did something just a little extra. He said, I want you guys to put water in there three times. And I want this trench or, or, or this sacrifice to be completely full of water so that there's no mistake about it that God was the one that consumed this sacrifice. And the Bible says, oh, man, this is some good stuff. The Bible says that when this bull was on the sacrifice, when he was on the altar, that God called forth his God and God came down with a flame of fire, sucked up all the water and consumed the sacrifice at the same time. And the Bible says that the children of Israel said, this is indeed the Lord God. And Elijah said, seize all of the prophets of Baal. And do you know those 450 prophets, Elijah slayed all of them. They were all taken away. No longer a snare in the children of Israel's side. Talk about righteous indignation against the enemies of the Lord. After this was accomplished, the Bible says that Elijah went back to Ahab, and granted, when you come off of that type of spiritual high, you have some confidence about yourself. You have some pep to your step. Look at, look, look at what the Lord just did. Come on, all right? You have some pep. And so he looked, and on the horizon, there was a small cloud. 
that was beginning to form. And he spoke this, Elijah did. And before you knew it, there was a downpour of rain that began to fall as Elijah, as Elijah spoke forth that rain would come back. And after all of this occurred, the Bible says that Elijah went back to the city and Ahab went as well. And he had an expectation of what was to come. How many of you have had expectations in your life and those expectations are not met? How many of you have conjured up in your mind where you thought you would be at this season of your life, but you feel like you were so far behind? Maybe you thought that you would be out of this struggle. Maybe you thought that you wouldn't be dealing with this addiction to drugs at this stage of your life, and there is a certain sense of lack of expectation. God, I thought that you would bring me through. I thought that you would restore my marriage. I thought that you would uh, provide this job that I was looking for. Unmet expectations. But he had this expectation. And the Bible says that when Ahab got back, that he told Jezebel all that had transpired. And, he, and Elijah's sitting there wondering, thinking to himself, man, this is it. I know after what the Lord just did, this is going to be the change that I've been waiting to see. This is when revival is going to break out. Blessed be God, it's going to happen. He was thinking this. But to his surprise, Jezebel said, that's great, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but I'm putting out a warrant for his death. And Elijah was taken back. I thought this was going to be the miracle. Lord, I saw you do some great things in my life. And like many of you here in this room, you've seen the Lord move in so many ways in your life, even in the life of other people that you have prayed for. But why isn't the breakthrough happening in my life? Why is it that I feel so alone? Why is it that I, he, he seems so quiet during this season when I really need him? Can you understand why the Bible says that Elijah fled into the wilderness? Can you understand why he entered into a state of depression? Because when expectations are unmet, people feel dejected. They feel disappointed. I thought that this would be the change. I thought this would be the breakthrough. I felt a certain way while I was in service and then I stepped outside those doors and I was met with reality. But can I submit something to you? Nothing changes in the spirit, in the natural, until it changes in the spiritual. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But he was in this place of disappointment. He was dejected. I've often heard people teach that he was afraid of Jezebel. Are you kidding me? Did you not just hear what he just did? It's not that he was afraid. He was dejected. He thought that this would be the change that he was seeking for. And it seemed as if God did not come through. And he was upset. And oftentimes when you're disappointed, when you're dejected, depression begins to seep in, even for a Christian. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that anxiety in the heart causes depression. Anxiety in the heart causes depression. But the good news is it goes on to say a good word will drive it out. And what is that good word? Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Because this is where the battlefield is. I believe you. I know you can do this. 
Why are you trusting in him? Why do you keep going back to church? Why do you keep believing? And then you have voices that are speaking to you. Sometimes you have to silence the voice of the enemy in the spirit realm and also in the natural realm because sometimes people can have good intentions, but I'm going to a place that you don't know of. You have to stay here. Do you want to know why Abraham, and I've said this before, do you want to know why when Abraham sacrificed his son that he told his servants to stay down at the bottom? Because if they had went with him, they would have stopped him from doing the will of God. But he told them to stay here with the donkeys. Different version says something else. Stay here with the donkeys. And me and the lad will return. The point that he was trying to make is where God has taken you, not everyone can go with you. Yes, you were, were like you grew up with them. Yes, they're their posse. They're, they're your roll dogs. They're your homies. But they can't go with you everywhere that you're going. And this is a message to young people. Working with young people for over 11 years, the one thing that will stop a young person from accomplishing the will of God in their life is associating themselves with the wrong friends. The Bible says, be not deceived. In 1 Corinthians 15, be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. It's your friends. It's the people that you associate yourself with. And that's not just for the young people. That's for us adults as well. God has not called us to missionary dating. God has not called us to missionary dating. God has called us to find somebody that's sold out for the Lord. Woman of God here in this place, if he can't lead you, if he can't put a ring on it, holla at you. Peace. I'm gone. And man of God, watch out for those Jezebels. Come on, somebody. Watch out for those Jezebels. Atlanta, watch out for those Jezebels. Because sometimes it can look good on the outside, but it's the quietness of a broken and contrite spirit on the, on, on the inside that should attract a man of God, which was something that my wife possessed when I met her and caused me to be drawn to her. My St. Lucian queen, as I would say. Come on. But the first point that I want to make as we look at this scripture is past... Victories can oftentimes become our present defeats. Past victories can become our present day defeats. You know, I was listening to a a pastor a while back, and this was profound when I heard this. He said that when he's reading his Bible, and this doesn't apply to everyone, but if it does fit, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. But he said when he reads his Bible that he's made it a point to not write notes in his Bible but to write notes in a journal in a separate place. And his reason was, if I'm looking at a particular text and there are some notes that are next to that text, I may be limited in my thinking of the revelation that God wants to give me in accordance with this text. And so sometimes if I keep going back to this scripture, I may be led to believe that God will do it the same way that he did in 2001 when God is wanting to do it a different way in 2017 or 2018. Are you with me? Sometimes we can pigeonhole or we can put God in a box when God is outside of our boxes. When God can move and use anybody whom he chooses. God spoke through a donkey. He can speak to anybody. He can move in anyone's life. You could be there at the bar having a drink and God could come to you and say, it's time to start living for me. I can remember when I was in college and I was sitting at my dorm room. And I didn't know where my life was headed. I was looking for my identity. And the Lord came to me in the quietness of my spirit and said, Brandon, it's time to start living for me. And my life was changed in that moment by myself in my dorm room at the desk. And my life was changed. It was rocked. 
But with Elijah, he had just experienced all of these miracles. And he was expecting God to make a sweep over the land and to bring about change speedily the same day. But God said, yes, the prayer is on the way. But the manner in which you were wanting me to answer this prayer, that's what you've conjured up. But that's not what I have designed for you. I will answer you. And I have heard your prayer. Your prayers are not hitting the ceiling. But take admonition from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. If you can understand it, if you can think it, then God is way above that because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's challenging us to go to another level. And Elijah was in this place, God, I thought, and this is what caused him to enter into a state of depression. But have you noticed that our God is patient more than people are? People are quick to write you off. You'll never amount to anybody because you did this deed or because you did that. But the Bible says, judge nothing before it's time because you don't know what is going on beneath the surface. Yes, there's a lot going on on the outside that may not be Christian behavior, but there's something going on on the inside. There's something that's happening on the inside. There is a conviction. There is a hurt. There is a pain, even over the things that we have done. And I'll say this. If somebody can go out and do things contrary to the will of God and have no, no remorse, no conviction, I would question whether you're saved. But if there's a conviction, thank God for that conviction. Did you know that the Bible says the Lord disciplines those in whom he loves? And if you are without discipline, of which some have become partakers, you are illegitimate. You're not a son. You're not a daughter. But if you are his, he's going to convict you. And I thank God for his conviction. I thank God that he doesn't leave me to myself. I thank you that when I fall, when I say something out of turn, that he corrects me. And I hope and pray that others will do the same because the Bible also says an open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. We ought to be a body of Christ where we can correct one another and not get offended and leave church. We ought to be the body of Christ where we're not out there looking to judge somebody, but if something comes up where we can tell our sister, you know what, I love you. We've been friends for a long time, but you're wrong. Brother, man, 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 we've gone through a lot together. We've, we've, we've had some fun times, but man, you need to go back to your wife. You need to tell her that you're sorry. You need to stop being prideful and be a man and be the father that you were designed to be. Sometimes we've got to have those talks. And I would be lying to you if there haven't been men of God that have had those talks with me. And I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't be standing here today if it was not for men of God who told me the truth when I needed and didn't just sugarcoat it, but got in my grill. And told me what I needed to hear. Because I want to grow. I want to grow. Past victories becoming present defeats. What I love is in James, and I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but in chapter 5, James is looking back to this story. And he says something interesting that we almost miss by reading this scripture. The Bible says in James chapter 5, at the end of that scripture, I believe it's verse 15, he says that Elijah had a nature like ours. He had a nature like ours, and he stepped out in faith and caused for the rain to cease and for the rain to come back. May I confess this morning, may I declare that there is death and life in the power of your tongue, that you can speak forth things that are not yet come to pass in your life. In fact, the Bible says, call those things that be not as though they were. Sometimes the blessing and the promise could be on its way. 
angels could be dispatched to send it to you, but then we halt the blessing of the Lord because we speak out of turn and say something that is not in accordance with God's will. Sometimes we have to watch what we say, and sometimes what we say is fueled by what you hear. That's why it's important to shut the mouths of those who are speaking against the Lord. The music we listen to, the things that we watch, not trying to be legalistic at all, but sometimes things are permissible, but they're not profitable. It's permissible for me to do this, but is it profitable? I know that I have a right because in other countries it's okay to smoke weed, it's okay to do drugs, but the Bible says I will not be brought under the power of anything. I'm not going to go to drugs for uh, satisfaction. I'm not going to go to alcohol. I'm not going to go to pornography. I'm not going to go to prostitution. I'm going to God. He will be my escape. He will be the one that I find my refuge in and nothing else because these things won't satisfy Elijah experienced the power of God in his life, but disappointment crept in. Though we have scriptures like Isaiah 53, 5, and we can probably quote this scripture, by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 55, 11, his word will go out, will not return void. Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, it will be done for you. We have Mark chapter 16 that says, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out devils. They will speak in new tongues. They will pray for the sick and they shall recover. We have that scripture. We also have Romans 8, 11, if the same spirit um, that, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, how shall he not also with that same spirit give life to our mortal bodies? We have these scriptures of faith but one thing we don't factor in he never gave a time frame he never said exactly it will be there on january the 28th at 1212 the blessing is coming right then he never said that but he said that it is on the way and while you're waiting And this is what God was trying to teach Elijah while you're waiting. Even though nothing spectacular has happened, will you celebrate the small victories that he brings along the way while you're waiting on the big one? Even though I'm waiting for my daughter to come home, will you embrace the fact that you have a home, that God provided you a house, that he gave you a bed to sleep in? Even though my marriage is not where it should be, I thank God that I have a husband, that I have a wife. Even though I'm single and I'm looking for my mate, I'm looking for my Boaz, I thank God that even in my, in my singleness that I have a freedom to go on mission trips and do the work of the Lord and not have so many responsibilities that are on my life to where I couldn't do those things. Embrace every season of your life. Embrace every season, Atlanta. Even as you're watching, I believe that there's some that are in that room right now that God is speaking to you. And he's calling you to trust him, to not be dismayed by what you see, but to trust what he has for you. You may have somebody in the hospital right now, and you're believing for that person to get well. God is faithful. Healing is the children's bread. And he was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Point number two, God makes provision and poses a question in every wilderness experience. All of us have wilderness experiences that we go through. How many of you have received a wilderness experience? Or maybe you're in there right now where you feel alone, where you feel isolated, where you're in this space where you don't know what the next move is and I don't even know what my purpose is. Like I'm really struggling right now. But you have to understand even in that wilderness that God has made provision for you. Even before God sent Elijah into the wilderness, he was lying down and the Bible says right next to him was a cake that just appeared out of nowhere in a jar of water. Come on, somebody. If that was there right next to him, can God not sustain you and provide for you? And not only that, the angel came a second time and gave him some food that lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. 
God makes provision for every wilderness experience that you go through. So embrace it. What am I to learn through this? I'm not necessarily praying for you to take this trial away, but what is it that you want to teach me through this trial? Because whenever a teacher gives a test, she is silent or he is silent. In the same way, sometimes God is silent, but that doesn't mean that he's forsaken us. Because my Bible says that my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I am the son of God. And he's adopted me into his royal family. Therefore, I cry out, Abba, Father, even in the midst of my pain, even in the midst of my struggle, even in the midst of me not understanding why, God, I trust you. I know that you're real. I've seen you move in my life. I trust you. At the conclusion of Elijah's wilderness journey, God asked him a question not for information, but to help him identify what he learned about himself. How would you know that God was a deliverer if he had never delivered you out of anything? How would you know that he was a healer if he didn't come into that hospital bed and give you a sense of comfort, even in the midst of the diagnosis, even in the midst of the chemotherapy? God was there, and he was the one that was caring for you and rescuing you. How would you know that he was a restorer if you've never seen him restore anything in your life? But when you come out of something, I know something different about you, God. I know that you're a deliverer. I know that you're a sustainer. I know that you're a provider. I know that you're a satisfier. I know that you can quench my thirst. We wouldn't know this in the absence of trials. Are you with me this morning? Though God is the same, our perspective of him changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But that doesn't mean that his ways of delivery are always the same. He can deliver. You know what? I can recall a time, and I don't know why I'm reminded of this. My wife and I, we were just starting to have kids, and uh, we were really struggling financially. And we made it a point to tithe, to give God the first 10% of our income. And we weren't in the ministry at this time. I really believe that this was a test for us before we even got into the ministry. And I can remember we didn't even have enough money to do so, but we said to ourselves, I can't afford not to tithe. I can't afford not to give God my first 10%. And I can remember that there was one instance in our life where we had bills that needed to be paid. And I can remember all of a sudden walking out to the mailbox. And inside the mailbox was an envelope on the inside. And the envelope did not have a return address. It just had the Dumas family, our address. We would open it up, and inside would be a note that read to the Dumas family, God bless you, $150. $500. This happened on six different occasions. And God showed us in that moment, when you put me first, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. I will be there for you. And I'm not saying that it was tithing alone, but that was at least the start of it because we wanted to put God first and he provided for us. But we had to sow a seed and we had to trust him. He's the same but his mode of delivery is different. I close with this. The last point that I want to make, which is probably the most important. God knows the ending from the beginning. Did you hear what I'm saying? God knows the ending from the beginning. Sometimes when movie makers set out to make a film, they start off with the ending of the film and then work their way back to the front. Because sometimes creating an ending gives heed to understanding what's supposed to be in the middle and at the beginning. And this is something that they may think that they came up with, but God has always been this way. 
Because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So God knows your life. Hear me when I say this clearly. In Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world was ever created, God knew you. He knew you. He saw you. And to further emphasize this point, remember how I told you to look at Romans 11? I want us to examine this really quick because this is very important. Elijah was saying to himself, Lord, they've torn down your altars. They've slain your prophets. I alone am left and they seek to kill my life. Now on the surface, this may not seem like a big deal, but you have to understand if Elijah was taken out and he was the only one left in the children of Israel, all of the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of the promises would have never been fulfilled if he was the last one and there was no one else. And how many of you know that God cannot fail, that whatever he speaks comes, comes to pass? And so Elijah, even though he said this, I could almost see God looking down the corridors of time and saying to himself, but I see a man by the name of Paul who will be traveling on a road down Damascus and will be knocked off of his horse and will be saved by the grace of God and will lead a many people to salvation to trust in the Lord. I could see him looking and seeing Paul, even though this was spoken of in the Old Testament. See, you got to understand something. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So everything that we learn in the Old Testament is a foreshadow and type of what was to come in the New Testament. Are you with me this morning? So when we look at this scripture, even though Elijah was saying, Lord, I'm the only one that's left, it's almost like God was speaking to him, hold up, Elijah. You don't realize the remnant of people that I have reserved who have not bowed their knee to Baal, the 7,000 who still serve me, who still love me, even though you are in a place of weakness and you're speaking in ignorance and I love you despite that, be careful what you say because I'm doing something and I know the ending from the beginning. You don't. You're finite. You're human. I'm God. And let me be God in your life. Let me rule. Let me accomplish what I'm seeking out to accomplish in your life. Watch this. In Romans 11:1, 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom we foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with the Lord and he goes through what we just read in chapter 19. The reason why Paul's bringing this up, because he was about to fall into the same trap as Elisha. He was looking at the children of Israel in his day and saying to himself, it doesn't look like they're serving you. It looks like they've been cast to the side, that they're not even part of the fold anymore. But then he had a revelation. He said to himself, this can't be true. Because the fact that I'm saved is positive proof that God is going to finish this thing. And not only that, he had a revelation. And I thank God he had a revelation because it shares a lot in regards to us. And that is, the Jews' unbelief is just for a season. If it wasn't for their unbelief, you as a Gentile would never be engrafted into the kingdom of God. But it was through their unbelief 
that you were engrafted in and you were engrafted in to provoke them to jealousy. Because when they see the goodness of God, when they see the blessing on your life, they will realize, I want this too, and they will come back. But Paul says, don't boast in this position. Don't boast and say to yourself, I support the root. No, you don't support the root, but the root supports you. And even though you're experiencing the blessing and favor of God, pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters who will be saved, who will come to the Lord. There will be a time where God's chosen people, the Jews, will come back to the Lord. But watch this. If you read the rest of that chapter, Paul says, it's not until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. When all that I've chosen, all that I've predestined come into the fold, then I'll open their eyes to see again who I am. Second Peter 3 says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Will you stand with me here in this place?